Colossians chapter 2. The focus of our text this morning is going to be on verses 16, 17, 18, and 19, starting at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by the putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And now our text for this morning. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the with a growth that is from God. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. You may be seated. Insecurity. Being accepted. People thinking well of you. Reputation, popularity, fear of man, peer pressure. These are some powerful words that evoke some strong emotions for us, don't they? And for those of you who say, no, not really, I'm, I'm not so sure that you're alive. 
Sometimes we think that these, these emotions are just part of adolescence. Peer pressure, insecurity, fear of man, reputation, popularity. We think that that is a section of words that are just left for junior high kids or high school kids. But the reality, that is part of something that we all struggle Maybe you've discovered the same thing. Insecurity, peer pressure, and the fear of man don't go away when you become an, an adult. Trust me, I have gone through these things. Part of the process of transferring into the Presbyterian Church in America was a daunting, daunting, scary experience for me. It was terrifying. Not because of all the paperwork and stuff like that, but because there was a time where I had to go before their licensing and credentialing committee to be ordained, to transfer my credentials from the RCA into the PCA. It was, there was a group of men that were sitting around this table who were like spiritual giants, men who had doctorates. They were well-seasoned. I also knew some of the men who were in the presbytery, men like Dr. Phil Riken, who has written commentaries. And I was going to be joining these men. And part of me feared it. I didn't want to walk into that room and give an examination and look like a total idiot. I wanted to be accepted, I wanted to be warmly welcomed. And be thought well of and even think, wow, this is a great addition to our team. This man is a genius. He is a spiritual giant to us. The reality is my first round, I failed. And they put it so nicely. They said, we would like you to come back again. My heart sunk, but I was warmly encouraged by them. I was discipled by them. But I felt that I was, even with the questions that they were asking, I was blown away by the depth of the questions that they were asking. There were layers of thinking and questions that I had never, ever conceived. It was a miserable day as I felt insecure. I was worried about being accepted. I was trying my best not to look like an idiot. And I remember giving Laura that call and her being all excited. So, so how'd you do? And I had to say, honey, I bombed it. I felt like a junior hire. Have you ever felt like this as an adult? I bombed it. I feel insecure. Even in your Christian faith, you're walking around, you're listening to these other people, and you're going, they are so much farther ahead. They do things that are just like spiritually amazing, and I am just this immature baby. I don't get it. So what happens when you start to feel that way in a church or a group of people who claim to, to, to be spiritual? insecurity, fear of man, a need for acceptance and, and peer pressure can, can create a real fertile soil for spiritual drift or just honestly blatant legalism.
powerful emotions and, and, and powerful people combine as, as deadly weapons in the enemy's hand to pull us away from Christ just so that we can be in this in crowd, so that we can find our acceptance. The last number of weeks we've been looking at, at what does Christ-centered thinking really look like? How do we think rightly? We walk through some glorious passages in Scripture, and it's been refreshing to see with fresh eyes who we are in Christ Jesus. And that helps our forming of Jesus-centered thinking. Who are we in Christ Jesus? I've called you to actually think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. I called you to, to live vicariously, to live out the spiritual reality that you have been brought from death to life. I've tried to establish a, a direct connection in your mind between who you are in Christ Jesus and how you live in this life. I've tried to help explain and help you understand your freedom in Christ so that you can live differently. Our text this morning, though, calls us to see the freedom that we have in Christ. See the freedom that we have in Christ and guard it. Guard the freedom that we have. And this might be new for some of you, to guard the freedom that we have in Christ, because we don't often think that we need to guard our freedom that we have. But that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Do not be intimidated and do not be sidelined. Guard your freedom that you have in Christ. Don't be intimidated and don't be sidelined. Guard the freedom that you have in Christ. So let's talk about this do not be intimidated thing. Freedom in, in Jesus, or Christian liberty might sound more familiar to you, is usually seen through the lens of Romans 14 and 15, where Paul calls believers to, to give up their freedom, right? Give up their freedom for the sake of, of weaker brothers. Give up your freedom that you have for weaker brothers. You've probably heard, you're familiar with those warnings about causing the, the weaker brother to stumble. And that honestly is something that we must all guard against. We do not want to cause somebody who is weaker in the faith about certain things to stumble. But there is a fine line and an important line between a loving concern for a weaker brother or sister, and allowing legalistic preferences, legalistic preferences of others to unduly affect our lives. Do you see the fine line already? Protecting and caring for a weaker brother, and guarding them, loving them, having concern for them, and allowing legalistic preferences, legalistic preferences of others to unduly affect our lives. And I'm not sure that we've really thought well, uh, thoroughly about this idea. 
And, and I've heard a lot of things of, under the banner, don't even give an offense or don't even caught, be a stumbling block for other people. And the result is, and I've been in churches and I've been in communities like this, the result was an oppressive culture of people as we, as we walk on eggshells, constantly being careful about, oh, I don't want to offend them, or I don't want to cause them to, to, to stumble in, in any way. And so it becomes this, this culture of really misunderstanding what is a weaker brother. And having an unbiblical view of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. There's a great example in, in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul goes on record with a public confrontation with uh, St. Peter. And what was, Saint, what was Peter doing? He was giving improper coddling to a group of people who were offended. They were offended and they should not have been offended. The problem with, was Jewish leaders from Jerusalem who were refusing to eat with Gentiles. Refusing to eat with them. And they were not the weaker brothers in this case. No, they were legalistic people who needlessly held to man-made religious standards. And Paul did not defer to them at all. He confronted them with zeal. And he guarded the freedom that he had in Christ with passion. I have that right. You are immature. You're holding to human, man-made traditions or preferences. I am guarding my freedom that I have in Christ. So how does this relate to Colossians now? Remember that Paul did not want these believers to drift from Christ. He wanted them to stay the course, right? He didn't want them to subtly, over time, drift away from Christ. They, but they were in danger of putting their spiritual trust in other things. Putting their trust in other things. And there were teachers and there were leaders who were pointing them in that direction of putting their trust in other things. The pull of this drift, which often leads to just blatant legalism, is, found, is twofold here. One, this, this kind of drift, it, it offers people, people a sense of a, a deeper spiritual life. It's, it's, it's somehow a missing link to their spiritual growth. If I would just do this, I'll be, have a deeper walk with Jesus if I do this. But there's also, there, there was embedded in this, there was a, a sense of pressure, whether it was stated or implied, a pressure to be a, a part of a, a special group of people. And it was kind of appealing to pride or a fear of man. And some of you know exactly what this is like. If you look back at some of your own, your own religious culture, you go, yeah, Hmm. I get that. To be a part of that group, there was a certain kind of different regulations and different kind of ways to live and to live and think and breathe and eat and drink and what we could and could not do. 
And there was also a, a real kind of pressure, a peer pressure, or a fear that if I did not do this, I'm missing out on something, or I was even looked down upon. And this is the power of all forms of legalism, the promise of more and the pressure to conform. That's what legalism is like. It is the promise, if you do this, there's more for you, or there's a pressure to be like us. That's really the power of legalism, isn't it? And Paul goes after this dangerous teaching. Verse 16 is absolutely blunt. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pass judgment on you. The word therefore points back to the, this positional reality that we learned in verses 8 through 15. Who we are in Christ. This is where you are. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In light of what Paul just said, we need to stop allowing people to pass judgment on us. Stop it. Have you ever seen the Bob Newhart uh, video? where he's in this counseling situation with this woman, and he says, listen, I've got a guarantee that we can fix this. And she says, well, okay, that sounds good. And then he gives her, listen, I need you to pay up front. This is what you need to pay. You can Google it later. It is hilarious. She has a fear, and her fear is being, Isaac, what is it? Being buried in a box alive. That's her fear. And uh, Bob goes, okay, I've got two words for you. Get ready, because this is going to be a life-altering thing for you. He looks at her, are you ready? She goes, yes. Stop it! Stop it! And she, she was kind of startled. And he goes, no, really! Stop it! It's that simple. Stop it. And this is what Paul is doing. You are allowing these people... To judge you. Stop it dead in its tracks. We cannot allow this kind of legalism to take hold in this, this community of faith. You have freedom in Christ. So stop it. Don't allow it to go on. The structure of the original language in this verse points to the fact that this judging was presently going on. So you could translate verse 16 as... Therefore, stop letting people pass judgment on you. Stop it. The rest of the verse kind of indicates the focal point of what this judgment was being focused on. It was on, focused on food. It was focused on drink. And it was focused on religious holidays. There was kind of attaching religious significance to food and to, to holidays. And it was a common battle that took place in the New Testament. If you eat this way or do not eat this, there is, there's a certain holiness about you. You do not eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't. No, no. You do that, you know, you're, you're going to be part of that culture. Somehow by eating that food, you're going to become irreligious. If you participate in this holiday or that holiday, oh, there's a special place for you. You're closer to God. 
And so that, there was that, that problem going on in the New Testament. However, the addition of drink here into this equation seems to indicate that the problem was a little bit different or an additional problem going on. It seems that there were people suggesting an even more stringent regulation that involved uh, regulations cons- uh, similar to Nazarite vows. Have you ever heard of the Nazarite vows? The Nazarite vows basically said there would be no drinking of alcohol whatsoever. You are cut off. I'm making a vow before the Lord and one of the things, it's kind of like Lent. I'm giving up something to be more holy before God. And they were attaching a, a spiritual significance to these regulations that were just way over the top. And further, the, the, the observance of these certain holidays was also thrown into the mix, attaching an obligatory spiritual significance to these as well. So what is the problem going on here? The problem is that the observance of these regulations had become a matter of spiritual obligation. Spiritual obligation. Offering almost an improvement upon their position with Christ. If you do this or don't do this, you will have a better position with Christ. If you do or don't do this, you're going to improve your position with Christ. Now, it probably didn't sound like that when they were teaching it or kind of selling that kind of mindset. Most people would recognize a blatant shift away from Christ, right? If there's a hard right that somebody takes in a car, everybody kind of jerks and go, whoa, we're going in a new direction. But it was an ever so subtle hinting at, oh, this would be, if you just do this, if you do an ever so subtle shift, people don't notice. And the danger of this subtlety with which it happens is, is that people don't notice that their eyes are being taken off of the centrality of Christ. It manifests itself in a, in a sense that you feel like you're, you're not either a real Christian if you don't do these things, or if you are, you're not very spiritual. And it's interesting here that Paul says, stop letting these people judge you. This means they, they needed to stop being intimidated by these people. Do not be intimidated by these people. They need to stop letting these people control them or make them feel insecure or less than who they really were in Christ Jesus. Stop it. That's why in verse 17, Paul says, these things are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. The true reality is Christ. In other words, they were in danger of having a misplaced focus and trust. These false teachers were adding all sorts of baggage to their lives. 
additional requirements. And it was creating a practical trust in things that were shadows compared to the reality of Christ. The Colossian believers were being intimidated by spiritual shadows. The Apostle Paul says the substance belongs to to Christ. The NIV, New International Version, says the reality is found in Christ. The New Living Translation says, for these things are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So do you see his point? His point is that it is so easy and so dangerous for the focus, for us to focus or to shift on things that really do not matter. And Paul doesn't want them to be intimidated by these people. But to instead put their confidence in their position in Christ. Do not be intimidated. Focus on who you are in Christ. And Paul is not suggesting in any way to be rude, to be proud, to be vengeful, to be mean. But he is, he would say, don't give in to this. Don't give in. Know who you are in Christ. Guard your freedom. Do not be intimidated. But it goes on in verses 18 and 19 to Paul saying, listen, being intimidated is one thing, right? But he says there, he goes on to say that there's a further development of this being intimidated in verses 18 and 19. Paul is concerned that giving in to these spiritual confidence tricksters would result in the Colossians being disqualified. The danger here is more serious. It means that they would, they would lose their way. They would take the wrong path or they would run the wrong race. I have talked to many people who are recovering legalists. And honestly, I'm one. I came from a culture, and I can't uh, say it was all uh, a certain denomination or a certain people group, but I I came from a culture that found it easy to be legalists. And in having these conversations and thinking about my own past, many would point to a particular season in their life, and in some cases, it was most of their life. And they would say that they fought the wrong battles. Fought the wrong battles. They climbed the wrong mountains. They died on the wrong hills. I don't know if that's true for any of you. You think about over your past. Man, I, I, I fought the wrong battle in that season of life. I, was, I, I missed the whole point. I, climbed, I, I died on that hill. In reality, that wasn't even the hill to die on. 
What, what is often the result of, of fighting these wrong battles, climbing the wrong hills? Split churches. Fractured families. Disillusioned children. Disillusioned children are often the nasty fruits of legalism. Disillusioned. Really? This is what Christianity is all about? This? Somehow kids and teenagers can see beyond our legalistic tendencies, right? And go, really, Mom? Really, Dad? This is what it's about? Don't eat and drink this? That's it? Because they can see the missing of the substance. Christ. But do you know it's even worse than fighting the wrong battle and, and having all these things happen? The worst thing is to stand before Christ and hear him say, Hey, Paul, you fought the wrong battle. It's one thing to have your kids go off the wrong way because of your spiritual legalism. But to hear Christ someday say, Paul, you fought the wrong battle. The danger here is directly attached to the word disqualify. It refers to an unfavorable ruling from an umpire or a, a, a judge. It, it means that you compete in a race, you compete in it, but you are not eligible for the reward at the end because the judge rules that you have competed incorrectly. You've played the wrong rules. Stop it. You get to the end, look at what I've done! And God goes, yeah, you're disqualified. You missed the whole thing. False teachers could have done exactly that. First, they, they would have created a culture in which certain people were, were not deemed useful unless they had the right standards. Or, secondly, they could have created a, a loss of reward. A loss of reward as people wasted their, their gifts and their times and, and energy and just worthless spiritual practices. And that is why I've chosen the word sideline. The idea here is that you should not take yourself out of the game. Stay focused on Christ. Don't quit. Don't play the game. Don't get sidelined on things that do not matter. How would this disqualification happen? Paul listed three areas. He said, first, there is a sense of false humility, asceticism. And for those of you who don't understand what asceticism is, it's this idea of, I am giving up all this for a sense of holiness. I won't eat, drink, or do. In fact, I'll attend this, this, and this, and I'll have a holy sense about me. So there's false humility. Secondly, there's a, a spiritualization factor that would lead to disqualification. And Paul talks about it as a worship of angels. I'm focusing on, on, on the heavenly things. In reality, Paul's going, no, you're, you're worshiping angels and uh, the substance is, is Christ. 
You missed it. Wrong game. And third, there's a, a special spiritual insight. These people can be oh so dangerous. Or they have visions and dreams, and, and you kind of get lured into this uh, cloudy world of Neverland. And Paul says that's going to lead to your disqualification. And these teachers were inviting people to be a, a part of this in crowd. And through the, this mystical or over-spiritualization of experiences, or through just rigorous self-discipline. Rigorous. And it may have sounded something like this. Look, you can get to the next level of spirituality where you will just have spiritual clarity and insight, but you are going to have to really work at it. Most people in our church just don't get this stuff. But I'm telling you, man, there is a new level of freedom it worked wonderfully for me, and here is what I did. And that's what the pitch would have sounded like. But verse eight, the second half of verse 18 kind of peels back that what was really there. What was really at the, the core, the problem, and the problem was pride. The person is puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind, puffed up. The longing for spiritual progress done this way actually leads to spiritual disaster. You keep doing this, it's going to lead to a dead end. You're going to crash. It's a trap. My Star Wars mind kind of kicks in right there. It's a trap. Turn around. We've been caught. We didn't see this coming. It's a trap. In the, in the name of spiritual growth, these people were being swept into a trap of another kind. The trap of do-it-yourself religion. And verse 19 tells us why it is so prog problematic. It cuts one's connection to Christ. That's the problem. Notice that this verse, what this verse tells us about the importance of being connected to Christ. Do you see that there in verse 19? Look at it real quick like. Now I'll just read it. Verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? Who is the head? Christ. 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 And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, what does it do? It grows with a growth that is from God. So he says, listen, the importance of being connected to Christ is, is threefold. Christ nourishes the whole body. From him comes all the nourishment that you need. From Christ, Christ holds all things together. And Christ is the one that gives growth. It comes from God himself. So you see where the credit will ultimately lie, don't you? Jesus provides the nourishment. 
Jesus holds everything together. And God is the one who is making it work. Real spiritual growth, friends, and real spiritual maturity should cause you to grow more dependent and more in love with Jesus. You find yourself becoming more dependent on me or more dependent on some teacher on the radio or some WMBI or WONU or anything else. You find yourself becoming more dependent on them for growth. You find yourself becoming more dependent on some spiritual teacher that has written this next marvelous book that is giving you all the insight into Christ that you've always missed. You've missed it. You've missed it. You need spiritual growth and spiritual maturity causes you to become more dependent and more in love with Jesus Christ. If you can explain it or give a four-step plan, what do you need Jesus for? Paul doesn't want us to be sidelined by the pull of these self-appointed umpires who are blinded by their own prejudices or preferences. They're self-appointed, and they are taking you off the path. So we need to watch out. Again, back to that first sermon in this section. Think about your thinking. Think about it. David Garland, in his commentary on Colossians and Philemon, uh, gives a few characteristics that we, we should be watching out for. He says, one, anything that judges and disqualifies others according to arbitrary human measures. Watch out for it. Secondly, he says, anything that substitutes sham battles with asceticism for the real struggle with sin which Christ has already won for us. Anything that makes subjective feelings or mystical state the norm over the historical event of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Anything other than if your feelings are trumping anything over the historical event of Christ's crucifixion and death, you watch out. If it's all about a feeling and an emotion that's subjective to the winds of the day, watch out for that. And then he says, anything that cuts people off from Christ, the head, or Christ's body, the church, watch out. So we must be careful, careful friends, to not become sidelines or to create a situation that may cause others to be sidelined as well. So how do we guard our freedom? That really is kind of the the thing that we've got to be asking. How do we guard our freedom? And think rightly about this text. Well, I'm going to give you three. First one. That's how you guard your freedom. Know your position in Christ. Seriously. 
Know your position in Christ. I've said this before, and I'm just going to keep coming back to it time and time and time and time again. We've got to really understand. We've got to constantly rehearse the beauty and the power of our position in Christ Jesus so that we can live it. This is who I am in Christ. He has redeemed me. I am no longer that. I am this. He has given me a new name, a new position. I am in Christ Jesus. I don't have shame anymore. So I'm not going to get suckered into you shaming me. I'm in Christ. It's critical, friends, as we go out into ministry, out into the world and, and talk to people, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, but you know, I knew you when. Or just the other day, you said, yeah, but let me tell you, friends, this is who I am in Christ. I am still a work in progress, and I make no excuses for what I said or how I acted back then and even yesterday. But I'm going to tell you, this is who I am in Christ. I am a work in progress, but he has saved me. You should have seen me. Look at me now. Secondly, second thing is you need to connect your heart to your position. I'm in Christ. In life. I'm connected to Christ in this real-time thing called life. My salvation, my security, my hope, my righteousness, my safety, my power, my sanctification, all of it, all of it, in real time, today, comes from Christ. That is where I am. It's not just head knowledge. It's, it's affecting my life. All of this, it's coming from Christ. And I'm deeply grateful for that. And so when I hear these things that are pulling me ever so slightly off to the right or off to the left, because it, it's not always liberalism, right? It can also be conservatism, legalism. My position is Christ. I don't have to add to it these things. I'm focusing on Christ who is my substance. He is my source. He's my all. Which leads to the last one. It is watch out for do-it-myself religion. I need to watch out for it in the teaching that I receive and the solutions that I embrace. If I just do this, I will be more holy. If I just think this way, or act this way, or talk this way, uh-uh. Watch out for these do-it-myself religion. I, I have to be sure that the gospel is always central in everything. S central. So I need to watch out for it when it comes at me. I need, but I also need to watch out for it in my own heart. And I would guess that most of these false teachers were absolutely convinced that, that what they were doing was right and maybe even helpful. 
And we have got to constantly be on guard. Constantly be on guard because you can drift from the gospel. You can drift from the gospel by liberalism or legalism. Period. And we are not going to be that church. We are not going to be that church that is one that is going to drift into liberalism or we are not going to be this church that just drifts into legalism. We are going to be a church that is fixed on Christ. That's who we are going to be. And do you know what that gives us? A tremendous amount of freedom. That calls us that we can do ministry to what the world or the church calls the untouchables. Think about it. I'm focusing on Christ. I don't care what your, your gender identity is. Let me show you Christ. And let me show you the power of his crucifixion and his resurrection. You know what it has done to me? He has healed me in all of my junk and my mess and my dysfunction. He has done that for me. Do you see him? Come with me. I'm not, I'm not afraid of getting my hands dirty because the one who has saved me was eating and drinking with sinners all the time. All the time. There's a tremendous amount of, of power and freedom that we can now have. Because our eyes are focused on what really matters here and where our strength is drawn from. Listen, friends, legalism is trust, just simply trusting in something other than Jesus. Legalism is trusting in rules and regulations. And it isn't hard to, to have it as do it my own parenting or do it my own marriage kind of recovery or do it my your own way kind of counseling or do it my own way music or do it my own way preaching or do it my own way church. We have got to be on guard, on guard for freedom, even in our own hearts. The inclination is to do it my own way or you ain't doing God's work. And that is a sick part of our, each one of our own hearts. If you're not doing it this way, you're not really doing God's work. Are your eyes fixed on Christ? We ought to resist any efforts to be, to be sidelined in any way. And we ought to be fearful of ever, do, of, of ever doing that to someone else. That's part of spiritual maturity. God has created each one of you uniquely and beautifully. He has given you a different mix of passions and spiritual giftings. Some of you are extreme extroverts. Raise your hand if you are an extrovert. Be honest. Who are you? Yeah, they were quick hands. Who are you? Uh, how many of you are introverts? Yeah. Lisa, you were an extrovert? <laughs> so it's, how many of you are like, like me, kind of somewhere in the middle, uh, 
a well-adjusted introvert or a well-adjusted extrovert, kind of there in the center somewhere. And so God has gifted you really uniquely in just how we like to approach and deal with people. How many people uh, deal with things internally? Just, I, I need time to think through things, process internally. And how many of you are married to a person who loves to uh, process externally? Yeah, yeah, so there are some of us who, who process stuff internally, and there's some of us who process, uh, I'm going to just blah on the floor, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm saying, I'm just kind of working through and making out the mess. And then there's those of us who love to teach, love to teach. There's those of us who love to sing and lead people. There are those of us who love children, those of us who would love to go into the bar and reach the alcoholic. There's those of us who will go into the corporate buildings and and find ways to integrate our faith and have those conversations. There's, God has uniquely created us to do different things for different kinds of people, and he has put us together as a body that is connected to the head from whom all strength and nourishment comes. And we cannot sideline each other for how God has uniquely gifted us to do ministry right here. If anything, we're to be the body that says, dude, that is so not me. That is amazing, and it scares the living daylights out of me how you are doing that. But praise be to God. Look at the fruit of that. How can I encourage you without getting involved? You know? Or can you bring me into it without making me the front person? How can I resource you? Because that's amazing. I love what you're doing. Without being legalistic and saying, that's wrong, man. You should never go there. Don't ever do that. Do you know those kind of people? Yeah, Christ probably wouldn't even hang out with them. Folks, we're going to keep our eyes focused on Christ using the gifts and the talents, bringing our family along, reaching the lost. That is who we are in Christ. Amen? Amen? Uh -uh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.